This is the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game. Rule number one is you have to believe in yourself. You're the only one who doesn't think you belong in this appointment. The prospect has already validated your existence by scheduling time with you. Get it through your head you belong here. Go in there, crush it, and close the deal. A place where sales professionals can come to learn from other sales professionals and thought leaders that have mastered their craft. The difference between a good salesperson and a best-in-class salesperson is only two minutes. By spending an extra two minutes on what you might think is a mundane task in the sales game, you separate yourselves from the pack, you grow your book of business, you close more deals, and you retain your accounts. As well as their peers who are still striving for perfection to achieve their why. I have a wife and four kids. Failure is not an option. Real sales professionals. Real stories. Real results. It's no different than being a professional baseball player. You can't be a one-trick pony. You have to be a five-tool player in order to succeed in this game. This is the Power Producers Podcast. Production redefined. Are you ready to feel the power? Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game. And I am super pumped. We could actually probably do at least one side of this interview in Espanol. <laughs> I'm good for about 10 to 15 words. Otherwise, I think we'll keep it in English. But listen, we've got my man Ariel Rivera with us today. And I am super pumped to hear about his agency and what he's gone through. But he's gone through. He might not be super pumped to talk about it coming into Florida in the year of COVID. But, you know, a lot of backstory here and just really excited to have a conversation with him that we can share with everybody. What is going on, brother? How you doing, David? Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited as well. Absolutely. So tell everybody you're kind of you've got a I mean, you could probably spend an hour just talking about your backstory, man, you know, coming from Puerto Rico up to Florida and all of that. But I do want you to kind of give them the. 10,000 foot overview of who you are and and um, how you got to where you are today. And then we'll drill down as we go on through the uh, conversation. Sure, man. Sure, man. So I was born in San Juan, Puerto Rico, um, 1981. So you know, it's been a while. Uh, I consider myself pretty young. So <laughs> I started back in the insurance industry in uh, 2004. It's a kind of a funny story. So I went to the University of Puerto Rico. After that, I took a one-year, uh, what is called the National Student Exchange Program. So I went to UMass Amherst, um, which I love. That was, you know, probably one of the best years of my life. Isn't that where Carlos, isn't that where Carlos Pena went? Didn't he go up somewhere in like, I, not, I don't know if you're a baseball fan or not. I was hoping Yeah, probably. I'm not sure if Carlos was there. I'm a huge baseball fan, but I'm not sure if he went there. I know Dr. J, Marcus Camby are like the big ones up in UMass Amherst. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I think. Carlos Pena went to school somewhere in New England, and it was just interesting that you said that because it was almost like a similar deal where he went as an exchange student, I think, and then ended up playing baseball and got drafted. I'll have to look hmm. that up. I'll get back to you on that one. But sure, sure. That would be nice. So, yeah, I came back uh, on my senior year of, uh, to the univers- University of Puerto Rico to finish my bachelor's degree, and then as soon as I'm finishing up uh, – I kind of wanted to go to law school, so that was the way I wanted to go. I consider myself kind of a people's person, so I love being around people, helping people. Um, it's funny because I tried to go into law school at the University of Puerto Rico. Didn't get accepted. It's fine. It's all good. <laughs> um, <laughs> after being rejected, so I decided to do uh, my master's degree at the University of Puerto Rico as well. And then as soon as I started, one day I'm walking in the hallways and then back then, and this is 2004, you know, you see a lot of flyers everywhere at colleges, campuses, and there's a lot of recruiting going on. And then I saw this flyer that said, um, make a lot of money, manage your own time, be your own boss, John Hancock. And I was like, wow. I mean, that's the job I want. That means Checks all the boxes, right? Of course. Who doesn't want any of that? Obviously, it's completely <laughs> false. Um, right. You do not make a lot of money until many years in. You do not work very little. You actually work a lot. Um, and then obviously, you know, the life insurance uh, path, it's a little bit different than the PNC path. So anyway, mm-hmm. I call in, got into their insurance uh, career agent program, started there my first year. I met this uh, super nice gentleman. 
at that time, I thought he was an old guy, but, you know, being almost 40 now, I know he was a super young guy. He was uh, mid-60s, and he said, listen, are you married? I'm like, no, I have a girlfriend, which is my wife right now. Do you have any kids? I'm like, no, I don't have any kids. Do you have, I mean, who do you live with? And I was like, I live with my grandparents. And he was like, dude, you should go out and start your own agency. And I'm like, what? I'm 22. I mean, what do you mean start my agency? Go for it. Take a shot. I mean, never look back. And you're going to be as happy as you can ever be. You know what? Best advice I ever gotten. That day I went out. I, I already had the life insurance license because that's where I started. Then I took the health, um, disability, and PNC license. Maybe a year as I'm already in the business, I started quoting or learning a little bit about PNC. And I just loved it, man. It stole my heart. You know, kind of like the dynamic, the hustle. And I still love life insurance. Don't get me wrong. Um, but PNC, it's more, it's just more active. It's more, there's many more ways you can help lots of people. And, and I just love it. And then from there, I just took off building my agency in Puerto Rico for 17 years. And it's been one awesome story. What was that conversation like with your girlfriend at, you know, at the time there? Um, Hey, I'm going to go start my, start my own agency. What did that look like? So that's a great question. So obviously there's no money, no anything. Um, right. I mean, my family, they could help me a little bit with education maybe. I'm huge in education. We can talk about that a little bit uh, later. Um, so my girlfriend actually went into law school. So it was funny because she got accepted. Well, she's a nerd. Um, <laughs> she's a, I can say that she's my wife. And <laughs> then she went on to law school. She never wanted to be a lawyer. And I was like, oh, you should go be a lawyer. I mean, that's going to be awesome. One day I want to go to Congress or, you know, be a senator or something like that. And then, obviously, I fell in love with insurance, uh, the insurance world and the industry. So with her, the conversation, she was like, I'm going to support you no matter what. So go for it. At that time, I used to work at, you know, bars, nightclubs and that kind of things during the night. So mm -hmm. I would work the agency which is, you know, work the agency where you and Brian knew and you were 22, so you barely got clients. Um, so I decided to go out, read insurance policies, learn as much as I can during the day, uh, go back. Back then we called it canvassing, which basically you will go into every avenue where there's a lot of small businesses and then go in there and say, hey, listen, Kyle, do you mind if I quote your insurance? I'm an insurance agent from blah, blah, blah. And that was it. I started mm -hmm. canvassing, but I promptly realized that if you don't know insurance, that was very hard because I remember going to a restaurant, which was my client for like 16 years. And the guy said to me, awesome, I'm starting a catering business on the side, but I want to include it under the restaurant. Can you insure me for that? And I'm like, oh, yes, <laughs> I think I can, but I had no idea what I was doing. So mm -hmm. I was like, nope. I got to go out and study. It's the only way to make it happen. <laughs> the answer is always yes. Then figure out how to get it done. <laughs> of course, but when you're 22 or 22, you still don't know that. And right now, they can tell me, how do you insure NASA? And I'll be like, of course, super easy. I can do it right now. <laughs> I got you. No problem. If you're 22 or 23, I was probably more likely to say, yes, I can do that than I would be now. <laughs> True. I'm more conservative now. I, I know what I do and don't know now. Back then, I didn't know the difference. I'd have tried anything once. Yep, yep, everything. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, back to your question, Kyle. She supported me. It's funny. I finished my master's degree. Next year, I got an offer from a Clorox company with one of a friend of mine that used to work there. Um, mm -hmm. And he said it was a trade marketing specialist job. And I was like, wow, that's awesome. I think I was 24 by then. And it was it would pay like 48 grand a year. And, and in Puerto Rico, that's a lot. That's like making 70 probably, you know, as an entry level in Florida or any other state. Mm -hmm. And I was like, wow, we're going to be rich. <laughs> and my girlfriend, who was about to become my wife at that moment, she said, well, are you going to be happy? And I'm like, who cares? I'm going to have 48 grand. <laughs> and she was like, nope, you're not taking that job. You love insurance so much. You're so passionate about it. I mean, you love helping others and being there for them. So don't take the job, please. And that's how it's been, the story of my life. <laughs> She's always supported me, and it's been a blessing. So nice. can't complain. By the way, Carlos Pena, Northeastern and Wright State. Yeah, oh, he started Wright State and Dayton, and he, you know, he wasn't happy there. He didn't feel like they valued his skills, so he went to Northeastern in Boston. Mm -hmm. or, into the Cape Cod League, actually maybe from the Dominican, but graduated high school in Haverhill, Massachusetts. So mm -hmm. 
did a little research while we were talking. <laughs> nice. Good job, man. <laughs> but no, I mean, I think I'm interested in a little bit about, you know, I don't want to just like dive right into where you're at now, but you came up and you decided you were going to launch your agency in Florida. And I know from conversations you and I have had offline that it's a little bit different than what you were, than what you were doing in, in Puerto Rico. What, what led you to want to come up to Florida of all places to start an agency? Number one. And number two, when you decided what you were going to do, when you launched deer, why did you make changes from what you were used to dealing with when you were in Puerto Rico? What, I mean, cause I, I think it's cool that you, you know, we all have the ability as the owner of our agencies to customize it, to be whatever we want it to be. I'm just interested if you were on a path and you had some success doing that, why do a change when you came to a completely different area? Cause I think some people might learn from that. Thank you, man. That's a great question. So in Puerto Rico, I mean, there's huge differences. We could be here for, you know, three to four hours uh, <laughs> Thanksgiving. Um, so first difference is there's a licensing difference. So in Puerto Rico, you're either an insurance agent or you're an insurance broker. So when you are an insurance broker in Puerto Rico and you have the corporate license or the agency license, um, you are allowed to do business with any admitted carrier in Puerto Rico. So there's not even an appointment process or anything uh, like that. Just because as a broker, you represent 100% the client, not the carrier. So you don't go through the whole process of, you know, getting appointments and all that as you do in Florida, um, which obviously, as you can imagine, is something I did not know it was that hard when I decided mm -hmm. to expand and open the business here. So one that's, you know, main difference number one. The other big difference is that's Puerto Rico being a... It being a small island, it's still, it's all about reputation. So how do you develop your agency? How do you grow? How do you scale? It's all about extreme customer service. I mean, you got to go the extra mile and then 10 miles more. So customer service is number one. Um, systems and procedures, how you set up your agency is a little bit different because here in, in Florida and the state, it's a, there's a little bit more automation to it. So there's a little bit more technology, not that it's not available in Puerto Rico, but it's not very well known. So that's one thing. I still want to work for Puerto Rico and help change the industry in that way and say, listen, there's so many things you can easily do just by, you know, moving a sales pipeline from one stage to another. So there's not that much exposure. So that's a, one main difference. Another big difference and the third one and most important one will be when you move from Puerto Rico to the States, so, you know, back in the 50s, they used to go to manufacturers and factory companies up in New York. That's why, you know, you hear the Bronx, New York, it's all Puerto Ricans and all that. So it was all Northeast. So in the 80s, somebody understood or, you know, realized that it was very smart to move to Florida because it's a shorter flight. So <laughs> it's warm, it's warm and it's a shorter flight. So yeah. almost everyone moves to Central Florida or Southeast Florida just because of the Spanish speaking. So that's also a you know, huge difference that you got. When I started deciding that I wanted to expand my business and, and the way I looked at it was, first of all, I didn't want Florida first. I wanted North Carolina because after the hurricane, I was able to go to Greensboro, North Carolina to work claims from Greensboro for a couple of months at my mom's house. And I fell in love with the area. And then that whole area, man, it's beautiful up there. I love visiting that, that place, especially in the fall. Mm -hmm. Yep, yep, it's beautiful. I mean, there's so many, so much development. There's a lot of diversity. It's a really good area. But then I had a meeting up in DC and I was going to stop to visit a friend of mine here in Jacksonville, Florida, actually in St. Augustine. Uh, he lived near the World Golf Village. I came down, look at the area, and I said, well, if we want to open in Florida, Central Florida is really crowded. So it's super crowded. I mean, there's a lot of agencies. That's just like San Juan. If you go to San Juan, Puerto Rico, there's 300 agencies in 20-mile radius. I mean, wow. it's a lot of independent agencies. But remember, we don't have captive carriers in Puerto Rico anymore. So I think it was maybe 20 years ago or 22 years ago, the last one was nationwide after they took off. So we only have Indy. So hmm. when I look at the, you know, the area up in Jacksonville, San Agustin, I drove around. I saw the families, young communities huge development projects like i mean a mile from my house right now they're building ten thousand homes in the next eight years so i'm like wow this is going to be the place 
I started researching about the area and looked to see if I could find, you know, big independent agencies and stuff like that. Obviously, you know, I call him, uh, it's a funny joke, the big dog. You would see Billy Wagner, you know, he's number one. <laughs> he's always number one. Uh, but besides Willie, there are other great independent agencies in the area, but they're not as much. So I thought to myself, this is going to be perfect. I mean, this is going to be a perfect area. We're still going to be able to serve the whole state uh, because of the Spanish speaking culture. So that's very good. And we'll just take it from there. And that's how kind of like I envision it. And obviously, my first, uh, the first wall that I actually hit was the appointment process, which mm -hmm. you know, David knows all my frustration about it. Um, <laughs> but once you get over it, I mean, you start kind of like feeling at home and, and moving around. So I dedicated myself to a lot of social media content as much as I could just to get known around the communities. I sponsor my daughter's school, which we love very much. And I mean, Northeast Florida is beautiful, man. I love everything about it. I'm super so how nervous. long have you been in, in, in that area? Uh, one year now. One year. Oh, just a year. Okay. Just a year. Yep, yep. Just a year. So, aside from the um, appointment, you know, the culture shock, I guess, what was another learning experience for you uh, in transitioning from the, the marketplace down in Puerto Rico to Florida? Dude, let me just stop for a second. You look like the freaking Unabomber. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> I look like the Unabom. I don't have a hood on. What are you talking about? Yeah, you have no product in your hair. It's like you rolled out of no, bed. No, dude. I've got I've, it's dry shampoo, bro. I know. Listen, I know you haven't had a chance to put product in your hair for a long time, but there's there's some stuff out there that you may not know about. All right, it's dry <laughs> shampoo. Okay, it gives texture. Look at this. Look at this. Look at that. Beard. You should see the beard. The beard is so yeah. Hood. Look at this. Yeah, you're one hooded sweatshirt away from being the Unabom. <laughs> There's nothing you can say that's Dude, it, <laughs> hey, if it if it dips down into the 60s, you're going to see it. <laughs> I don't even remember what I was talking about. You were asking Ariel about what's one other thing. Oh yeah, what was yeah, what was like another learning experience for you or or um, you know, hurdle you had to get over aside from the appointment um, um, situation. All right, so the two other main hurdles I would be I would say it's uh, workers comp. So we don't have private workers comp in Puerto Rico. Mm -hmm. So I actually just answered a question I was going to ask because I I found that out when the hurricane hit. I had some companies that, that do tree that, that are tree companies. They were literally buying bucket trucks to put them on a ship to get them over to Puerto Rico to help clean up the island, and they needed help with the workers comp. And I started digging in to do my research and realized the only place you get comp in Puerto Rico is from the government. From the government, yep, that's hmm. true. So we don't deal with workers comp. So there's no, you can take a hundred seminars on workers comp, but until you actually handle an account, everything is completely different. So Puerto Rico, my agency was 70% commercial, 30% personal lines, but we used to do, you know, contractors, uh, artisan contractors, we used to do developers, uh, condos, emergency rooms. I mean, very nice large accounts, um, but we never had to deal with workers comp. So when I decided to expand to Florida, the first thing I said is like, okay, so let's expand on personal lines just because commercial lines takes a lot of time. So I'm not going to be able to manage both agencies on the commercial side at the same time, but personal lines is going to be a lot easier. Of course, when I made the decision at that time, I had no plans, no plan to sell my Puerto Rico agency. So I actually sold it this past February uh, to one of the biggest, you know, most uh, developing agencies uh, in the island. So. Mm -hmm. Workers' comp was number one, and number two was the referral partners. So working with a lot of condos in Puerto Rico, I was used to work with uh, property managers and all that kind of stuff as mm -hmm. referral partners, even attorneys for condominiums and things like that. I was not very much into the loan officers, real estate professionals, uh, and partnering with them just because in Puerto Rico, like the bank agencies, they ruled that world. So it's almost impossible to get in it because, you know, the bank will eventually give you the loan. There's not many lenders down in Puerto Rico. And once the lender has it, they have an agency and, you know, it's very hard. But here I found out, like, even though it was a hurdle at the beginning, one of the things that obviously, you know, you Matt and Sack and, and, and you know, guys like Bradley Flowers, Carlos Vargas, all of them teach you uh, and even Billy Wagner, how about, you know, you can establish a good profitable agency just by creating a referral network. And I was like, wait, can I actually contact those loan officers? 
And they're like, hell yeah, you can go for it. <laughs> oh, it's, I was like, okay, it's game on then. So, and that's how, you know, we started building up this year. It's kind of sad that everything happened after COVID because otherwise, I mean, we would have had probably 20 more on board with us just because the way our style, you know, culturally speaking, we don't go out for coffee. We're like, let's go have lunch, drink beer, drink wine. I mean, I don't even want to know about your business. Talk to me about your family. So we love meeting people and hanging out. And, and But obviously, COVID took that away. So mm-hmm. the, referral, the referral partners we've been getting come, you know, through Zoom or, or referrals or friends and family that they send it, you know, our way. But yeah, that was one of the other biggest chalk that I actually liked. So. I think it's interesting what you said about how you approach the relationship piece where it's not tell me about your business, but tell me about your family. We don't want to go for coffee. We want to have, you know, food and wine and, and whatever. And I mean, I think that's something important that, that is missing a lot of the time from what we as producers do. Now, that's something that I do um, personally. I, I actually the overwhelming majority of my clients are also very good personal friends at this point. And it wasn't that way. It wasn't friends that I wrote, wrote their insurance for. It's people who I wrote their insurance for that I became friends with because of that reason. We would spend the time to get to know them and know about their families so that I can ask about their kids by name and all of that other stuff. And it struck me that I think that that, that issue of, of trying to push through to get to the close is a is it an American issue? I think it's a United States issue because, and the what what you reminded me of when you were talking about that was when I went to Nicaragua for the uh, to, to tour the Perdomo cigar facilities down there. There was a group of people that had come from Spain that were also on the same cigar tour. They were staying at the compound we were staying at, and all of that stuff. We would go in. I mean, we were ready to just plow through dinner and be done and then either sit there and chat in the in the lobby or go back and go to bed, whatever it was we were going to do. These guys were just getting started, man. They would, <laughs> they would have like a charcuterie board that had all kinds of meat and cheeses. They would spend three to four hours eating dinner as a group. And I was thinking to myself, this is valuable time. Like if you, if these people are about building a relationship, so it's no wonder why their their businesses are successful because these guys own a chain of cigar stores over in Spain. And so I don't know if, if part of it is just because it's a Hispanic culture culture thing, if it's the fact that the United States is so worried about being digital and removing the personal portion of the relationship out of any of it or a combination of all of the above. But I just, I wanted to point out, I thought that was an interesting point you made. And for those of you that are producers, sometimes you have to slow down to speed up. That's what I say all the time. Yeah. And I was listening to one of your podcasts the other day and you were talking about, listen, once you're in that front door, you said something about bring them donuts, bring them, you know, coffee, whatever you can just to make yourself memorable. So you Mm -hmm. become that memorable, that memorable person and it's funny, one thing I always said to my producers in Puerto Rico at the agency, when you're visiting a condo, you never show empty-handed. That's a no-no. You call before and you say, do you guys want some coffee? No, we already had our coffee. All right, so let's bring you some donuts, some, you know, whatever you can bring to actually kind of like, you know, break the ice. Let's just put it that way. But then mm-hmm. when you build a relationship with the referral partners, um, like we did with property managers and like we're doing now, not in that way, breaking bread together. It's so important for me. I mean, and I always say that's, that's how you go the extra mile. So we would have property managers have four condos. Two of them were with us insured. The other two were not, but every insurance problem they would have with the other condo, they would kind of like call and ask for advice. Obviously we said, listen, because of ethical issues, we have to stay away. We cannot put anything in writing. But we can give you a little tip or a guidance that you can ask your other agency to see if they can help. Mm-hmm. Most of the time, I would always say, give me one more year to my to my to the people on my team. Give me one year. If he make the call because they have questions and nobody's answering them, next year this account is coming. And that's how it happened. So it would come. So it becomes more of a friendship than actually a business transaction. And and that's awesome. 
Yeah, you know, there's a lot of people out there that would argue that that's not, you know, you shouldn't be friends with your clients and you shouldn't try and make your your uh, your friends your clients. But you know what? I mean, I I don't agree with that at all. Like I said, man, I mean, if I look at the overwhelming majority of people in my book, all of my largest accounts have been to my house. We've been on vacation together somewhere. I mean, we've been, we just ha- we build really really good relationships. I've got accounts that I've had on the books for 17 years because of that reason. So if you're a producer and you don't want to have to work as hard as you're working right now to build your book up, like I said, slow down to speed up, make make solid, long lasting relationships and preserve that residual portion of your income so that you're not having to work as hard to stack new business on as you get through your career. You know, it's not it's not rocket science to do that. I think there's definitely a difference between developing a relationship with the client to where it turns into a, a long term friendship type of situation than just, you know, trying to turn all of your friendships into clients. Um, yeah, I don't even talk to my friends about representing them. Neither, neither do I. I mean, you've said it before in conversation between us, you know, so and so knows what I do. If they if they want me to, you know, help them out, then then they'll reach out. And I kind of agree. Um, it's not something that I ever you know, push to family or friends. I mean, I've got family and friends that run businesses, you know, some big businesses too, but they, I mean, they know what I do. It's not something where I'm going to go out and, and reach out to and be like, Hey, you know, let me quote your insurance. Let me, let me take a look at like, no, I mean, that's, that's not the way to do it. And I think if you do it that way, then that can lead to issues down the road. I mean, a claim happens and maybe it doesn't go wet. Like it, it just opens you up to so much, you know, um, it's not worth it, man. It's, no, uh, it's it, it, it's not. I, so I think part of it too is you know with us because we're not heavy on the personal line side, that would be the low hanging fruit, right? We could go right. out and just crush personal line. That would also be the number one place I would have issues, and and I don't say that because I'm weak. I'm just not. I'm not there, man. I don't know all the coverage forms for the different carriers personal line, like I do commercial. The reason I'm able to go in and, and develop these relationships, number one, is because I'm rock solid on technical knowledge on the commercial side. Mm. You know, I don't I, I take my continuing ed. I pay attention. I'm a student of the game in that respect. And so I'm hundred percent confident that number one, I'm gonna do my job right when I interface with that person to bring them on as a client, but I'm also a hundred percent confident that I'm going to explain coverage to them, make sure things are documented. But, you know, I treat it just like a business relationship, even though they're my friends, but that's what they appreciate because we we can separate those two things. Plus, we get results, man. Here's the thing. If you're worried about, you know, something that you're good at, like with the commercial side, we're, we're good at that. If I'm worried about whether or not I'm going to make somebody mad or a claim is going to force something to go south. It's because I wouldn't have done my job, not because I don't know what I'm doing. And mm-hmm. the, the number one piece of advice that I would give anybody is you've got to consistently maintain that same level of intensity that you had that got you that account. Because if you don't do that, you start letting your guard down. You, you know, you're five minutes late to the lunch meeting, you're 30 minutes late, you need to reschedule at the last minute or whatever else. Now you're every other producer out there, but not just that, you're doing it to somebody that's your friend too, and it compounds mm-hmm. even worse. One thing I'd like for you to talk about, and I think it's something that's of huge value, um, especially the fact that you're in Florida, because honestly, you know, Puerto Rico's gotten ravaged by the hurricanes and we've, we've not, we've been fortunate. Uh, the last couple of years, but I really enjoyed your presentation at Innovation where you talked about some of the things that you did in preparation for when you knew the hurricane was coming. I don't want you to regurgitate the whole thing, but I think that there's some really important points that you brought up that unless you've been through that before, you wouldn't think about. It. I mean, I can tell you right now, the one thing that I thought was absolutely brilliant was the fact that you had burner phones, and you you <laughs> you would be able to be accessible no matter where you were, and you published those numbers and had your stuff forwarded so that your clients could get a hold of you uh, in the event of a claim. So why don't you just why don't you talk a little bit? Because to me, when I heard you talk about that, 
I'm led to believe that's an area that you're passionate about is the disaster recovery and planning and all of that. I mean, insurance is insurance, but when you get into your skill set there and some of the things you discussed, it's a prime example of going to a completely different level than your competition is able to go to. Number one, because of the knowledge. Number two, because of the experience and the fact. Yeah, man, I appreciate it. I'm, I'm, I'm actually happy you liked it. I had a lot of agencies reach out to me after IAOA and that presentation saying, you know, thank you. I never thought about this. And and it's OK. I mean, not everyone needs to think about this when you start your agency. But when you move forward and you start thinking about, you know, all the people you serve and all the people you're responsible. Now it's not only yourself. You're not talking about yourself and your family. Now it's yourself, your family, your team the referral partners, you know, clients and everyone around. So one of the things I always say, it's it doesn't matter whether you do two pages, one page or a hundred pages, it's all about planning. So when we sit down every year, or at least we, I do it every, I mean, every six months, I look at the numbers. So we look at production numbers, sales numbers, revenues, P&L, we do projections, budget. I mean, we do so many things, but we never think about, what will happen or how prepared are we going to be if the unimaginable course? So, and people say, well, we're in insurance. We're, I mean, we handle risk. We know what the unimaginable is. And I'm like, you might know, but you don't really know. So think about 90 days, no power, no internet signal, very few cell phones. Of course, Puerto Rico is an island. Uh, if you're in Florida, you can always drive north, drive west to any other state that can provide assistance to you and how you help your clients. But your clients are still stuck down there. So besides the burner phones, another thing with it is once we were able to get one of our clients that has a, a printing shop, we talked to him and we said, listen, we did this for the condos. We're going to be visiting your condo on X date. So we printed a banner that we put at the exit um, gate of that condo. Just to everyone that would come out for two weeks would know that two weeks from now, the insurance company is gonna bring inspectors. Somebody of my office is gonna be there. Most of them, it was me, um, or either Mikey, who was my right hand, my business development guy. We are gonna be there for you. And this is, that's probably one of the biggest turning points of it. Because when you're walking up and down a 23-story building from 7 a.m. to 8 p.m. at night, because, you know, you get as much light as you can because there's no power. So you try to see as much as you can. You can't recharge your cell phones, but you're right there and you only have like a can of water and maybe a couple of, uh, you know, special K bars or whatever. So no lunch, no dinner, no anything. You're walking up and down 23 stories just so your clients can see that you're there. That's a game changer. Some people say, well, it might be a little bit too exaggerated for it. And I'm, listen, if the client has no ability to either pick up your phone, see your email, see their social media, or see whatever you post in it, then there has to be some type of presence. Now, if you have a client, uh, for example, you, David, here in Jacksonville, maybe you're not going to drive all the way up, but it depends also the type of client it is, if it requires for you to be there. So most of the condos and shopping centers, they require for us to be there. So when you prepare yourself, you have to consider all that. So whatever happens in Northeast Florida might impact you down in Tampa. Now, who's going to go visit? Is it going to be you, one of your claims producers? Is it going to be a, an assistant or somebody else? So when you prepare yourself, just think about the worst. Next morning, you wake up. And, and I spoke with this uh, once with Bradley Flowers about how they had one year, I forgot if, if it was 2015 or something, that they had like four or five tornadoes in one day. I forgot the date. They were like, everything can be gone. So like, yeah. that's, that's an interesting thing to talk about, too, because we're talking about it in the framework of a hurricane. I lived in Birmingham, Alabama for a number of years, and I'm not worried about a hurricane if I'm in Birmingham. I'm worried about all of the tornadoes because you're right smack in the middle of Tornado Alley there. And guess what? You don't have time to prepare for that. Exactly. That's what I was going to say is, you know, a hurricane's coming. You have no clue that a tornado is going to rip through there. They pop up in 10 minutes. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I mean, that's the, that's the thing, man. I mean, this isn't something if you're, if you're an agency out there and you're looking to get into disaster recovery and what you're going to do in the event that a natural disaster happens from a claims perspective and just, 
checking in to make sure that your clients are okay and, and you know, whatever. You don't wait until you know the storm's coming, man. I mean, you should have already been working on this. We should. We don't have this nearly as formalized as what we should, especially for where we live. But I mean, that's one of the reasons why I wanted to have you come on was to hear you talk about this again and then light a fire under my rear end to make sure that going into 2021, we have all this stuff in place for our agency with very specific, you know, benchmarks and, and steps that we have to take along the way. And it's hard, man. It's hard to say, imagine if you didn't have access to this or that or whatever else. None of us, for the most part, have ever been in a situation where you don't have any of that. I mean, the closest mm-hmm. thing that we had, the closest thing that I've had to deal with regarding that in my entire life was when Irma came through mm-hmm. a couple years ago, right? We mm-hmm. had we had crazy storms, you know, the whole time I was growing up, but the worst thing we ever had to really deal with was flooding from those storms and, and the water associated with it. But when Irma came through, it literally went right over top of my house and we didn't sustain any damage, but we had no infrastructure. We had no internet. We had no power. We had no right. telephone, none of that. And so you figure out pretty quick how you do dishes in your pool. You bathe in your pool. You know, we have a gas grill so we could cook our, our food that way or whatever else. But, you know, until you've actually been there and had to learn how to be resourceful and come up with ways to do things, you it, it's almost impossible to put yourself in that situation and think that way, which is why it's important to know guys like you that you can listen to and learn from that you can draw for that experience and hopefully put something in place that'll work. But I mean, even the wildfires in California, man, I mean, that's what I was trying to say. Yeah. Any number of things outside of just hurricane that could cause issues. Yep. Yep. And it's interesting. You bring Irma up because that's what made it really bad for Puerto Rico that year, 2017. We were hit by Irma first, and then all the infrastructures and everything is debilitated. And then we get hit with Maria that was 180 miles per hour wind with, mm-hmm. I don't know, 20 something inches of rain in 12 hours. It was nuts. And you mentioned the pool. And, and I have a funny story with the CEO of PIA National, Mike Becker. As soon as we were able to you know, have some signal or something, he calls me and he goes like, Ariel, how can we help PIA members in Puerto Rico? I mean, we, we love Puerto Rico. You guys are part of our membership. We're all in this together. We're going to help you. What do you need? Do we need you to send money? I'm like, no, money can't buy you anything right now. Nothing. You can have all the cash in the world and you cannot buy anything. What do you need? Mm-hmm. So we needed, you know, gas, stove stuff, um, batteries, lanterns, uh, anything you can imagine. Uh, and, and we're good friends. You know, we have a close relationship. And it's funny, he goes like, but that sounds like camping. And I'm like, we are camping. <laughs> where we're at right now. Yeah, we exactly. At, we're actually camping. So, you know, going it's through crazy. all those needs and the necessity and not having a physical location. And David, you bring the uh, California fires. Man, that just scares me so much. Because now you have everything going because of the fires on your agency. A lot of your clients from the communities you serve are all burned down. I mean, that is horrible. That's just devastating. That's going to take up hundreds. We actually talked about it. We talked about it on the podcast with Eric Scholey. Like, as bad as it is to know that a hurricane's coming and, and having to deal with prepping for that and getting all your stuff in order, I don't think that's anything close to what it's like knowing that you've got wildfires bearing down on you. That you, you like with a hurricane. We, Kyle and I, have said it multiple times. You know, you stand a chance with a hurricane. Yeah. You're out of luck with that fire, man. Fire, fire comes through your toast, man. Yeah. Like literally, <laughs> you know, it's there's no stopping it, and 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 it's gonna, you know, you can't you can't do anything about it. It's you know, with with the hurricane, like you said, at least you can you can prepare, you can hunker down. It's gonna it's gonna come through, and it's gonna cause some damage, but then it's gone. Fire's coming through, and and it's it's not just gone. Like the effects of that are long lasting. Yeah. I agree, man. Couldn't agree so. more. And tornadoes, even blizzards. I mean, people don't think about the damage blizzards can do in the north. I mean, they do a lot of damage. There's a lot of flooding. Nebraska, I think, uh, and Iowa had huge floodings um, last year or two years ago because of blizzards. And, you know, it's crazy. It's uh... I'll tell you what, man. The single largest claim that I've ever been involved in, was it was a multi-million dollar claim. And it was for my account up in North Carolina. Um that there was a, a big chicken farm up there, egg, egg laying farm. And 
I don't remember what year it was. Um, it might have been 2013, 2014, but we had had a relatively mild winter, and then it got really cold, snowed, dumped a ton of snow in a short period of time. The next day, it warmed up to like the mid 60s, so everything was pretty much melting. Wow! Back down below 30 degrees that night, so all of it froze over, and then it dumped more snow on. And the roof of the building, the roof of one of the laying houses just completely collapsed on top of the four columns that were supporting it. But the problem is the way everything went down, we couldn't save any of the chickens that were in there. Um, it was just an absolute nightmare. And the, the biggest issue, and I think one of the things that if you've never been through a point like that before that you, that you have to deal with is the... Um, the business income piece of it. They just, it takes so long. I mean, think about this for a second. Eggs were very, eggs are very, very um, cyclical, right? They're cyclical yep. in their pricing. The year that this happened was the year that avian bird flu had infiltrated the US finally. So Illinois, Iowa, all of these places that had a ton of chicken facilities weren't able to do anything with their with their eggs because of the bird flu. So the, it, that forced the cost of eggs through the roof, it, it took almost two years for us to adjust the portion of that claim because my client wanted us to wait. They, thank God they were in a very strong financial position. They actually wanted us to wait to be able to see what the market price was going to go up to, how long it was gonna stay there, how far it was gonna come down, and then adjust the claim based on the real-time value of those eggs. The wow. carrier on the time was Zurich, and they wanted to immediately settle it for about $700,000, and I refused to settle. I told them that we I, – I laid out that um, game plan, and the claim ended up settling for like $2.2, $2.3 million as a result. Hmm. Wow. So, it's and, and by the way, in case you don't know how to read, you, you, you've not read this section of your policy before, always pay attention when it gets into what goes on in the event of a claim and whether or not there's money allocated inside the policy for professional expenses, because we had professional expense built into that policy with a sublimit of like $50,000, but that allowed us to go out and hire our own forensic accountant, but let the insurance company pay for it to make our case against us. Yeah, we used to cover as claims preparation expense a lot with Chubb and, and, and Liberty, Mafre, and those carriers in Puerto Rico. And we used it just because of that. So obviously, after the hurricanes, they limited that coverage. Most of them, they will only offer 25 or 50 grand of coverage for claims preparation expense. But then after the hurricane, they only limited to 5,000. And other big carriers, for example, like Chubb, that they do, they do large commercial lines in Puerto Rico, um, they limited to 5,000, and you had to... It had to be somebody that they approve. So, but still, you, you're able to get that coverage. So, if you're doing commercial, especially in the middle or large market, um, that's one thing you got to look at. Yeah, agreed. And it's one of those things that, unless you go to a CIC and you hear somebody talk about it, you're probably never even going to know it exists. Right. Never, never even know. Like business income from dependent properties. I mean, whenever you learn the time element, and that's why at the beginning I said education is crucial. It doesn't matter. I mean, whether you're going to do homeowners, auto, or large commercial lines, you definitely got to get education. Insurance, once you have that education, my wife always say they can take away your freedom or everything in life, but nobody can take away your, your education. What you think, what you know, what you learn. I mean, obviously, Alzheimer can, but, you know, you never want to get <laughs> It happens. It happens. Yeah, but. She's pretty smart, man. You probably ought to keep her around. Yeah, yeah she's no way too smart. Smarter than me, that's for sure. Her only mistake was marrying me, so. <laughs> you know, here's, here's the thing, man. I, I, you brought up a good point. In, I used it as a wedge a lot because it's easy here in Florida, but there's a there's a lot of agents that just don't understand time element the way that they need to, whether it be the deductible, whether it be, you know, the period of restoration, any of that stuff. And, and there, the other thing that they that I think that we fall short on is we don't we don't let ourselves spread out and think about all of the things that can be affected. Like if you have a manufacturing company, I don't care if it's workers comp or if it's, you know, mechanical breakdown or it's some other covered cause of loss. 
if you have a manufacturer, let's say you have a, a furniture company and one of the, your people loses an arm in a machine and that machine is down for 24 to 48 hours because they have to quarantine the area, do their investigation, get everything sanitized, blah, 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 blah. You didn't lose the money from the 24 to 48 hours. That That's certainly a part of what it is, but more than likely, you know, that's going to be in your deductible range. Anyhow, if it's a normal 72 hour waiting period, so I'm going to think, let's say the machine has to be down 96 <laughs> we will have to make it longer uh, because I just realized it was a really bad example. Because it was <laughs> you can always uh, endorse it to a 24-hour deductible only. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, you know, listen, true story. The the chicken facility we had a zero zero hour waiting period because hmm. if you had mechanical breakdown and a generator failed or whatever else, the birds were all suffocated within a matter of minutes. So if you had hmm. a waiting period, there was no point in me having insurance because it wasn't going to cover anything. So try negotiating that with an underwriter, but. Regardless, yeah. where I was going with that is if you have something like that where you're manufacturing a product and that product has to get into retail space and you don't deliver on time, you know, because a lot of people don't understand the mechanics of, of the whole retail end of it. You lose that shelf space. You may never get it back. How much damage did that claim really cause you in lost revenue because you don't get the prime shelf space at eye level or in some cases, you could have a retailer decide they're just going to pull your product line altogether as a result of you not being able to meet a, a production deadline for that. I mean, there, you can get into serious dollars really, really quick when you start looking at some of this stuff. Mm -hmm. Even when you think about it's a not, small. It's not covered by a monster, by the way. <laughs> no, not at all. And you can go from the manufacturer all the way down to your client who might be a small business owner policy, let's just say a dentist office. So we had a dentist office. They, they, their revenues were somewhere around a million and a half a year. But he had, you know, the X-rays machine and all that. The hurricane hits, and now when the hurricane hits, if they would have not had the coverage about the time element from dependent properties, so the business income and extra expense from dependent properties, the the place that manufactured the little, you know, darky things where where you actually print those x-rays so now nowadays you see them on the tvs but there's still some old school dentists that they actually print the little thing you know so that manufacturer company was actually down because of the hurricane so now when he was able he had backup generator he had everything in place to come back up but now he cannot run any x-rays so now he had a loss of income of over six months because of that so we had the business income and extra expense interruption with from dependent properties so we were able to you know obviously one of the forms structure it in a way that he could get part of it obviously it's almost impossible to always get all of it but he could get part of it so mm -hmm. you know the other area i think we're going to see a lot of litigation and uncovered claims for that specific cause of loss is in cyber i think that we're i think that inside of cyber the the damage that's done due to you being down to your dependent properties or vice versa is is going to cause a lot of issues because you got every agent and their brother out there claiming to be able to understand and write cyber insurance right now and mm -hmm. understand it. They, they just take whatever the wholesaler sends them yeah. and they pitch, they pitch it the way that it's written partially because they, they don't want to take the time to learn it and understand it. But, you know, I think that with everything going on with COVID right now and all of the things with people working remotely and everything else, Mm -hmm. One, you're already going to see, and we already have seen a rise in cyber claims. But more importantly, the ones that aren't covered are going to go into agency E and O claims, and it's going to get nasty in a hurry, man. And I'll tell you, um, it's not. I, I've seen it because I do have a chunk of my book of business that is uh, managed services providers. And if anybody out there writes a managed services provider, you might as well strap on your seatbelt and get ready because the renewals for these guys are coming back horrific. It's mm -hmm. terrible how bad they are, mm -hmm. but it's an industry where you have technology providers who think they have, you know, they think they're God. They think they know more than everybody else. They're bulletproof. This will never happen to me, blah, 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 blah. And they're the ones that are getting taken out at the knees anytime there's an event. And then they're upset because they decided, Oh, I don't need cyber. I don't want cyber. I just think that over the next five years, the landscape of cyber is going to change dramatically, and there's going to be so much government involvement 
yes. in terms of regulation. And we've already seen that happen in New York. We're seeing it happen in California. I think you're going to see a lot of regulation around minimum standards that companies have to take. So if you're looking for a way to differentiate yourself in the marketplace right now, people, you should be learning anything and everything you can about cyber. Learn those coverage forms inside and out. Know how to explain the differences in them. Know how to sell for them. Know how to sell against them because it's something that's going to set you apart from your competition right now, but it's going to be something that's vital for you to survive going forward because you're going to be expected to know that stuff. And I will add to that, David, know your state. Every state has different legislation towards cyber. So there's certain legislation on the federal level. But when you look at every state, it might be a little bit different. And then what people don't realize, so I, I contract with X, you know, ABC company to be my IT whatever. But you don't realize that the contract says that everything has to be done under the Colorado state uh, law and you're contracting them in Florida. And you think, well, because, you know, in Florida, this is what they're doing. But when you look at the contract, if everything is going to be done on the Colorado state law, now you got to learn about their cyber law as well to see where the liability is going to fall. So who's going to be responsible for this? So according to the Colorado state laws, it's going to be, you know, your kind. According to the Florida law, it's going to be actually the provider. So it gets really complicated. It's, it's yeah. a good point. And you know what? I'm going to say something that a lot of people aren't going to agree with, but we should be reading these contracts, man. Like, yes. You know, a lot of people are out there. You're not an attorney. I don't care. I'm not writing the contract. I'm reading it. You know, there's a big difference. You need to understand what that contract says relative to the risk management program that you're trying to implement for your client. And if you don't take the time to read the contract, how do you even know that the insurance is adequate for what, you need to do it. I'm not talking about flipping to the section that where they dictate to you what the limits are and all of that. I'm talking about, like you said, what what laws are going to govern this relationship, right? What state laws are going to respond in the event that we have a disagreement? You know, what are the what what type of indemnification and hold harmless language is in there? These are legal concepts that you need to know and understand. And here's a fun fact. They teach you this in Rubel seminars and in CIC. If we weren't supposed to know this stuff and have a functional working knowledge of it, why in the world are they teaching it to us at Continuing Ed? Don't be scared of it. And if you don't understand something, that's when you need to be disciplined enough in your approach to not make answers up or pretend like you do. Admit you don't. Find the answer. Get back to that person and move on. But I've seen such a movement in you know internet forums and other places They'll talk about reviewing a lease or doing this or doing that, and they don't they don't have any working you know knowledge of what they're supposed to be doing. And every other agent's piling on saying, "Don't read the contract. You're not an attorney. You shouldn't be doing that. Don't give that advice." I'm not giving them legal advice. I tell them up front, I'm not an attorney, and none of the advice I'm giving, you know, has been vetted by an attorney. This is simply my perspective from a risk management, you know, standpoint. Consult your attorney if you want legal answers. That's who's going to be able to give them. I completely agree with you. I'm not going to give you legal advice, but I'm going to read the whole thing because there's another thing. Always look for the scope of work. All of a sudden, your client thinks, oh, yeah, no, I'm going to be doing social media branding for them. When you look at the scope of work, it says website management, social media, and all of that. Now you have access to the website, to your client website, because you're going to be blogging and managing different things. Well, what you don't know is because of you, you could get hacked. Then your client got hacked. And all of a sudden, your client is a hospital. Now you got HIPAA complaints or HIPAA, mm -hmm. whatever you want to call it. Yeah, it's, it's, it's never the one-man dog groomer that gets hit. It's the hospital or the you know city or the university or something like that. Well, yeah, but definitely yeah. read it. Yeah, It goes beyond the insurance requirements clause. That's what I always say. You, you got to go read the scope of work, understand what they're asking. And listen, even if you have a concern, make an appointment with their attorney and say, listen, have your lawyer, legal counsel. Let's all sit down because I have I'm scared a little bit about the risk management process and what can happen. And then your attorney might have other concerns. So let's just all discuss it together. Here's the thing. I think that people that aren't legal professionals, that aren't attorneys, they look at a contract and there's emotion involved, whether they get scared by it, pissed off by it, whatever. They can't look at things objectively like an attorney can. Like, look at the attorneys that you see on, whether it's on TV or in real life, they're duking it out in the courtroom. And the next thing you know, they're slugging beers at happy hour right after yeah. because they take that and put it to the side. It's a non emotional existence. 
And so when you when you do those things, you should be reading those contracts. But the other thing is you shouldn't be afraid to reach out and ask questions, right? I'm dealing with one right now with a, a prospect that I'm getting ready to bring on that does fiber optic splicing for a huge general contractor. And the list of requirements that this international GC has is absolutely insane. Ten and pages. I don't, yeah, I don't even agree with half of what it is that they're asking for because it falls outside the scope of what my client is going to be doing for them. You know, like they don't want an exclusion for a certain thing on there, but it's not even that exclusion is not even in the scope of what my client would be doing for them. And there's no chance that that would ever come into play. Well, guess what? Pick up the phone and call the risk management department at that GC. It doesn't, it's not an adversarial relationship. They want that person to be doing business with them as much as that person wants to be doing business with them because they have projects that need to be completed. Phone, talk to them. Hey, I'm having a hard time understanding why you're asking for this. When my client's clearly not doing anything remotely close. Oh, we don't need to have that exclusion on there. How do we get it off? Because we're having a hard time getting past your certificate monitoring people. And typically what they say is, oh, well, if you can give us something on letterhead stating we do not do this type of work, we will not do this type of work, get it over. We'll pull it off of the requirements in your file and it'll drop off of what the monitoring people are checking for compliance for. But you got to be able to pick up the phone and make that phone call and feel comfortable doing it, knowing that you're not doing it to start an argument or get in a, a, a pissing match with somebody. You're doing it because you truly don't know the answer or you want to be educated. And it's, it's funny because we were just recording some Shop Talk episodes um, earlier this week, and, and I was laughing because I was talking about some of the things that I do from a risk management perspective, like go look at the electrical box. I'm not an electrician. I don't even know what I'm looking at. The reason I go look at it is because I've watched loss control people do that. So now mm. my client thinks I know what I'm looking at. I can even give them some feedback. Hey, probably need to keep the door closed on that. That's it. I just did a loss control visit on somebody's electrical box with no clue at all what I was staring at. But as you participate in loss control visits and you interact with these people, as you deal with the risk management departments that your client is, is trying to get work from, you can't run away from those situations. You have to deal with them head on in an educated fashion and come from a point where you're not somebody who knows everything. Be humble about it and let them teach you because it's only going to make you stronger in your game as you go on. I have a list of 15 things I'm going to do anytime I walk a manufacturing floor. Where did I get those? I got those from doing this for 17 years and literally going on every single loss control visit for every single one of my clients. I don't want to be a loss control person, but I want to have a functional knowledge of it so that if I do, look, you may tell you what freaks out a prospect. Go in and meet with them, and right before the meeting's getting ready to wrap up, look at them and say, hey, you mind if we take a spin around the manufacturing floor? I'd like to check it out. What agent does that? Very, very few of them do. Get outside your comfort zone, people. you got to be uncommon in the common world. Anybody can peddle insurance. That's, that's all I'm going to say. Listen, we've been going for an hour. I want to be respectful of your time. I'm, we're definitely going to have you back, man, because we could go for another hour or two easily. It, it felt like we were talking for 20 minutes. Thank you. <laughs> I, yeah, I'd love, I'd love to have you come back. Do this, though. I know people are going to be interested in, in what you had to say because God knows you know, they, they do reach out to people after they're on the show. What's the easiest way for people to find you, Ariel? All right, so you can always call or text me. My number is 787-568-4189. If you send me a text message, I see them all. If you have WhatsApp, you can also WhatsApp me. Look for me on Facebook. Uh, my first name, Ariel, just like the mermaid. They call me the merman, so don't worry. Last <laughs> name, Rivera, R-I-B-E-R-A. Feel free to friend me and, you know, send me a private message, whatever you want to do. Just reach out. I love helping people. I mean, I'm super involved in the insurance industry. I've been doing this for 17 years, and I've been involved in it probably for 12 now. So get involved, get some education, study, learn. It's a... Uh, it's a great, I mean, it's a great industry to be in. I think, to me, I, I, obviously I'm biased, it's the best one, so. I agree, man, I agree 100%. Well, listen, we're gonna sign off. I hope you and your ha family have a wonderful Thanksgiving. Appreciate you taking time out the day before the holiday to spend with us. There are plenty of other things you could be doing, so we're really appreciative of that. And wish you nothing but the best as you get through the holiday season and into the new year. And you know that if you ever need me, 
You know how to find me, brother. Like Hope you have it. Take care. Take care, guys. Thank you for everything. This was fun. Cool. Thanks, man. See you. You've been listening to the Power Producers Podcast. You can follow Killing Commercial Insurance on Facebook and YouTube. And if you want to take your game to the next level, next level, check out our book, The Extra Two Minutes, and our website, killingcommercial.com. 